Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Welcome, one and all. It's our first episode of 2024. The January window across Europe's top leagues has just closed, whilst Ukraine's doesn't till the 12th of March. We are also just a few weeks away from the return of the UPL, with clubs well into their mid-season winter training camps in either Turkey or Spain. So what better time to delve into all these happenings and explain to you, dear listeners, exactly what's been going on in the off-season. As you can hear, I'm on hosting duties for this episode. Adam can't join us uh, due to commitments elsewhere, but he will be back for the next episode. And of course, as always, Ray is with us too. Let the whistle stop tour of Ukrainian transfers and beyond commence. <laughs> Joining us for this transfer window special is the CEO of Phenomen Sports, Yaroslav Kondratyuk, whose company provides legal and consultancy solutions for professional sportsmen. Their clients include Yuri Vanedub, Yehor Tverdlhib, and Andriy Ponedelnik, amongst others at Krivbas, Denis Balan and Yevhenny Shevchenko at Veres, Tras Moroza Obolon, and many more across Ukrainian football. Welcome, Yaroslav. How are you? Thanks, thanks. Doing good. Hopefully you you too. Hello all. Nice to nice to meet you. And uh, let's let's have a small talk. Absolutely. So before we get into our numerous topics, would you care to share with the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? How long have you been working in football, Ukrainian football, and how did you get into the legal and consulting sphere? So. Uh... I don't know if it is counted by years uh, or it is counted but by, by cases or something like that. As for me, like working in football took seriously uh, probably five years ago or something like that. Uh, but before that, uh, like I, I can't say exactly that I'm working with football or in football or something like that. It's all about the sports industry in general. And uh, the clients uh, are like not only football players or football coaches, but um, like uh, situatively the presidents of the club, the owners of academies, uh, uh, not, not only football academies, but like in other uh, sports. So um, it depends. It depends on who, who needs some, some kind of service, some kind of, kind of advice or consultancy. So. Uh, like f- for me, it was uh, just like a harmony way of uh, moving from uh, legal sphere when I wanted uh, to uh, just to, to develop as an expert in some specific field, uh, like uh, being a good lawyer or being a good attorney or something like that is uh, is not uh, knowing everything or a 
small parts of everything. It's by uh, having some uh, significant expertise or expertise yeah, uh, in uh, in one specific sphere. Or, like for me, it was like the uh, <laughs> like uh, two two uh, areas I was interested in. Uh, so I just moved to the law firm, with, uh, which uh, dealt with some corporate issues, merger acquisition, some some like that. Like on the international area, we didn't work uh, quite often, but but uh, in Ukraine, in terms of national legislation, we we try to do some some stuff. As the time was ticking, my desires and wishes were like uh, <laughs> it made me made me uh, do some more specific jobs. So I entered uh, and tried to practice as a junior associate in uh, a company which had uh, their head office in Scotland. And we uh, were like uh, managing some um, cases concerned with Italy. Uh, I mean, some Serie A clubs like Genoa, if I'm not mistaken, Torino, um, like some East European clubs, only uh, East European clubs of civilized world. I mean, uh, <laughs> not touching uh, uncivilized uh, uh, legal regimes or something like that. Like so, when we started doing that, of course, it was interesting uh, and participating in deals like Camille uh, Glick uh, from uh, Monaco, if I'm or from Torino to Monaco, if I'm not mistaken, and drafting the. Uh, the full agreement with all those uh, uh, like uh, numbers, with all those uh, you know terms, conditions, and everything like that. It was very interesting, of course. Uh, moreover, for for a student of uh, <laughs> of international law who like wants to to participate in some food, like sports activity uh, at its best, uh, but. Uh, the level of involvement of a lawyer or just just a lawyer uh, is not enough uh, to to feel the moment, to feel the right emotion. In sports, you know, uh, you you want to be involved in some kind of process. You want to, uh, I can't say to influence something, but uh, at least you want to know how the process is done. You you want to uh, to create some some material uh, <laughs> to, to be discussed, not just being an instrument of doing something. Uh, so that was the way then I decided just to transform my uh, sphere of interests, not, not interest, but sphere, sphere of uh, concrete work uh, and just try, try to start my own way. So I was like, uh, still, still was a student of the Institute of, uh, Institute of International Relations of Kyiv National University in after Shevchenko and uh, like at that time I decided to to combine my uh, business uh, and the, the the area I would like to work with my uh, desire with w- what I love in my life uh, that's uh, that's it is um, actually so um, it it started right right in that way it was just uh, knocking knocking the closed doors uh, I like this way a lot, <laughs> to be honest. Now you do predominantly your work in the sporting sphere. For those who don't know, can you tell us a bit about your company, Phenomen Sports, and maybe the work it does for its clients? Yeah, so the company was is something like a, a, a child for me. 
as I wanted to, you know, how, how you name the ship, the, the, the way, the, the same way it's, it goes through the seas and oceans. Uh, so probably we're something providing uh, values over everything else. Someone wants an advice, someone wants a consultancy, someone wants, wants their, their image to be uh, put on uh, the top level, someone would, wants just, uh, just a, uh, you know, legal uh, consultancy concerning a very one, one very specific contract someone wants endorsement contracts so i like the the broad range we do within one specific field while we are touching uh, a, a bit touching uh, some marketing in in in, a, in another way we are touching some uh, areas which are connected like directly to sports of course uh, and it is it is what it is. I have a good company. I have a good, good team members, uh, and we are just uh, making our steps to, to the top. I, I hope. Of course, I've been following the work that you guys have been doing, uh, for a while on Instagram in particular. I know you've got a Telegram channel, and you've got a number of well-known uh, clients, as we mentioned, Yuri Vernadov, of course, who's currently the manager of the team that are top of the UPL, the shock and Phenomen Sports has seen a number of its clients move this uh, transfer window so far. Um, probably the most notable, I would say, is Yehor Tverdukhlyub. He made the move from Minai to Krivbas. It's been rumoured for at least six months. Uh, it was all over in the summer. There was loads of talk that he was going to move, but eventually, finally, it was completed and now he's with the team in Spain pairing for the second half of the season. Would you be able to maybe give our listeners a bit of an insight into what the process of doing a deal like that is? Uh, what does it entail and how much involvement you have in that process um, of, you know, completing it from, I guess, from the beginning to the end? Like what's what's your specific role in, in the whole move? Oh, in one way or another, uh, every step, of the transfer of my clients transfer to uh, clubs um, in one way or, an, or another it is followed by by some specific work uh, <laughs> uh, to start with of course it's a quite complicated process uh, including uh, a, a number of actions from different different uh, parties so of course, well, if if we are speaking about uh, something as an example, uh, Igor transfer, he is a pros a prospect, of course, and uh, thanks for to the season twenty two twenty three, everyone understood it, and uh, uh, most of the clubs in Ukraine like mentioned him as one of. Um, I can't say young because he's already 23 years old, but, you know, there are players which start playing quite quite late and their peak uh, is also later. So probably we'll see him in Champions League at 35, I guess. But it would be <laughs> uh, just the fact that he, he plays there is, is uh, I guess, enough. The process started from just a desire of... Uh, of a couple of clubs to to sign him and of course uh he wanted someone uh who could help him with uh, some marketing maybe image making issues and of course uh, as a result uh, or 
right uh, at the end uh, the legal consulting uh, which concerned directly his contract the contract among clubs that's not my competence of course like any football related services so they the, the, those are the issues uh, of food or subjects of football like clubs players like some something like that probably intermediaries agents but they won't won't weren't in, involved in this case uh so uh we just started working in our way uh, and uh, I guess uh, some <laughs> some issues cannot be disclosed, of course, how it uh, how it was happening. But everything was quite quite transparent. Uh, the the one who wants the player the most, he he takes him. Uh, the player is uh, he he just uh, feels uh, where he should go or he shouldn't go. Uh, as I know, uh, I was not uh, dealing with some offers which uh, came to Menai office in summer 23 uh, but there were some clubs from Poland uh, and they they were providing very good conditions but it was his his decision uh, not to go uh, anywhere from Ukraine uh, to stay here because his brother is uh, um, currently at this time he's on the front line uh, in uh, I don't remember if I'm correct and in Kharkiv region um, so like it was just his decision to stay here um, and then like, Minai was not uh, they, they didn't want to sell him to another Ukrainian club for for some for some amount let's say uh but in winter they like after poor performance they club their club had uh during the autumn period uh, they decided uh, it is better to let him go and uh, when it comes to conditions uh, between the clubs of course it cannot be disclosed uh, but uh, the player is happy everyone's happy <laughs> What could be what could be better? <laughs> and if, if we speak about any other transfer and uh, just stylistically how it happens, it's something like uh, painting a picture, you know, uh, how to catch the player, how to catch his mind, how to how to make him go for a higher or lower conditions, how to persuade your own president that this player worth more than any other on the market uh, why why he is so good why he is what are the risks basically in in my head uh, the work of uh, football clubs and uh, football managers uh, inside and outside the clubs is more about risk management rather than like uh, sitting on the places uh, putting their their fingers on I, I like this i like this and i want just to to <laughs> to to take this one and this one and just to have the result with them uh it's more like doing some uh homework with risks uh Yaroslav, i have a question why do we know all these sums from the deals happening in Europe and in the world, and we never do in Ukraine. Just like you said, it shouldn't be disclosed, but is it special for our country or? I don't know if it is special or not. Like we, we have a specific market, of course. We do not uh, have uh, some crazy or not crazy amounts to be paid uh, between the cl our clubs. And uh, within some specific cases, you know, uh, <laughs> 
there is us is ambiguity of thoughts i guess uh but uh, they decide not to not to tell nobody uh, in europe uh, when when your amounts are high high enough to some other bets from other parties or other sides other clubs it is important for journalists probably for some insiders to be involved into the that cases uh to to say we are selling for example i don't know um sudakov for 150 <laughs> you know and uh, and just making making that that car to to run faster and faster uh i guess that that's the the only reason we we do not have such competitive market over here uh probably in half year or year time uh, when karpati move promote to the top division when police starts developing and starts putting their goals higher and higher uh, the competition may arise between a couple of clubs which will be able to uh to bet, bet to, to do really, really high bets financially. I mean, uh, okay. So just just to just to clarify, when we talk about deals happening in Ukraine, players are moving for money, not for carpets, not for cars, not for apartments, flats, houses, money, right? In some cases, in some cases, money. Okay. In some cases potential <laughs> money. In some cases. I don't know. I I didn't uh, work at that time, but I've heard some players were sold between uh, Metalist and Nipro, old ones, uh, without uh, minus one or something like that. Uh, they they were sold uh, for plants, if I'm not mistaken, like so, something like that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Some kind some kind of plants. Yeah, yeah we get it. Was, uh, you know, like a piece of paper, which in which the with the use of only pen and, and signature, it was like, I'm giving you this player and you are having this plant. That's it. A, a deal is done. Everything's good. So, <laughs> I don't know how okay. to register it uh, through the Ukraine the Federation uh, at that time. Yeah. Nice. All right. Unique stuff. Seriously. But uh, like you say, it's uh, I think it's going to be quite interesting over the next sort of year or so how competitive the market does get, because uh, I mean, potentially we'll be touching on this slightly later in the episode uh, from next season. Uh, we're going to have maybe seven, eight teams that will all be challenging for Europe and it will be maybe a bit difficult for maybe some of the clubs that don't make it and how and how that will sort of go forward. But anyway, just before we move on to actually talking a bit about like, club-specific news and everything else related to that, I think it's quite interesting. Obviously, as you have mentioned, Yaroslav, that at the moment you work on sort of legal um, side of um, assistance to players, to clients, sort of marketing ways, uh, making players, you know, representing players in, in different fields. Obviously, if someone goes on to transfer market, for example, they'll see, oh, Phenomen Sports is just an agency. How would you describe to anyone else why you're not uh, just a standard agency, per se? Because, as, as you mentioned, you do lots and lots of different uh, things. And why don't you like that term for for yourself? I think it's, I think it's quite an interesting oh, the the term agent, uh, you know how it sounds, sounds in your ears, I guess, and ears of uh, lots of fans, uh, lots of uh, f- football uh, involved persons. At the first, 
at the first stage for me, uh, the Institute of Reputation, you know. And uh, when it comes to football, especially uh, we are talking, the football we are talking is uh, like uh, very unique kind of football. It's Ukrainian football. And uh, <laughs> we, we are having quite a strange perception of, uh, of being an agent. Is this someone who is involved in just uh, deals, money laundering, uh, you know, uh, in just providing some, uh, I don't know if, uh, if, if there is a, a gap for some competitive part or something like that or as well. Uh, being an agent in Ukraine uh, uh, is not, uh, cannot be considered as being a, a respective, reputable person, you know. It, in my opinion, that's what the perception I had when I tried to position myself in in the industry. Uh, I I never had an idea of competing with uh, other agents or competing uh, like I'm I'm just going with my uh, small shop uh, to another bucket of shops uh, and we're starting a market. Uh, first of all, there is no market. First of all, uh, and second of all, we have only one uh, supermarket uh, where everyone can can buy everything. You know, not even yeah. buy, not buy, take. Following up on what you just mentioned there, especially with your legal background, uh, and I'm sure that you know the market, or not even the market, the supermarket very well because of your years in the industry and in in Ukrainian football. How have the recent changes in legal rules uh, relating to, you know, new FIFA directives where uh, agents have to take spe special tests to be licensed by FIFA? How has that impacted the Ukrainian football landscape? What what's Has it had a, any impact at all or, you know, how has it changed anything? Because just for anyone who's listening and doesn't understand what I'm talking about, I think last September, if you want to be a FIFA registered agent, you have to do some sort of, test i don't know exactly what it is but you have to do like multiple choice and all this covered stiff and if you pass that test you're an official agent and then you can do obviously deals as an agent between clubs all around the world but um what's your take on all those changes uh yaroslav um like for me it sounds like uh the the license for selling ice to eskimos you know uh, <laughs> uh it's quite quite specific thing uh, actually uh the institute of an agent was introduced uh, back uh, to, to back to 2000s years or something like that even before 1996 and and earlier uh and uh, it's then then we had intermediary uh intermediaries uh, institute and uh, it was not it was like the the relation to a transaction means you are an intermediary and when everyone was doing uh, some uh, <laughs> like uh, deals like a scout like a consultant like uh, like everything everything like that uh, I'm not talking only about Ukraine. I'm talking globally. It's uh, just uh, just a fact. Uh, the FIFA tries to be some kind of an enforcer, a, a police or FBI. I don't know, but uh, they're trying to put all those regulations not uh, with a, an objective of creating an equal 
and uh, correct way of uh, of competition of acting of uh, all all the civilized members who are going to to do civilized things uh, rather they are just making some steps which will will allow allow those who are receiving to make them still receive using a group of uh, lawyers, a group of uh, fake agents, or uh, some, you know, how it how it was related agents, uh, let's say, or connected, how it is already introduced in the new uh, football agents regulations. Uh, in my opinion, the more you try to regulate the any specific area, the more. Uh, how to say tension inside you have the more like uh, people who will argue you have uh, and that's what we are actually having uh if i'm not mistaken and i guess i'm not mistaken top five five countries which have two five leagues i mean germany france england spain italy uh they all have cases in their national bodies against the newly established uh, regulations uh, and uh, <laughs> what it came from the uh, Germany case, uh, which was filled in Dortmund uh, court, I don't remember which concrete, but Dortmund court, uh, they just made FIFA like suspend their regulations until the European Court of Justice decides whether they are doing okay work for, for the industry, where they are like establishing establishing good faith for the competition inside the area or it is quite a specific thing you know uh so they are making some process uh which is clearly it's very beautiful to to put uh, as as many points as you have and say we regulate uh salary or fee cap uh okay uh, you like put uh, not 10% or 5%, you just like make it three or five, depending on the salary of the player, depending on how I, I, I'm not uh, specifically in within those uh, system of law, but uh, I, I know how it happens. Actually, it is not possible to make someone adhere to it, actually, to be honest, how it is not possible to uh, to put um, some competitive laws uh, inside the arbitration process, you know, uh, we we've seen a lot uh, a lot of uh, reports having like that that arbiter uh, was uh, um, like doing correct because of like uh, Article One Point One. At the same time. According to Article 2.2, he is not correct. He is not doing correct thing. So that's the conflict of laws we have. And uh, FIFA is not uh, a governmental organization at all. It's uh, it cannot make those Italian, English, uh, all other clubs. And also, if I'm not mistaken, even in in Switzerland, uh, there was a case and. You know, the court of arbitration for sports is uh, in Lausanne, Switzerland. So it's very interesting how uh, how the things will will be done. What will be the um, the acting structure of those football 
market football agents or intermediaries back again or maybe in five years we have uh, another term i don't know uh, like football involves body or uh, <laughs> how it's football business but i don't know uh, how it's uh, go, gonna work yeah so essentially right now that test if you complete it under uefa jurisdiction you're officially an agent or intermediary but if you don't have it you're not allowed to call yourself that right is, is that essentially it uh, the uh, exam uh, is uh, concerns to the fifa jurisdiction and uh, it uh, comprises of 15 uh, uh, questions uh, 75% of i mean 12 of which uh, should be answered correctly um like it's uh, basically not a problem for a person uh, having uh, full legal practice in the field of course uh, at the same time the structure of enforcement be of being uh, after you are a subject of football uh, after you are subject to the code of ethics and within some specific jurisdictions i'd say that may be an instrument for of influence we know some cases when agent cannot say something in public because he will be punished or uh, some uh, some kind of uh, duties will be imposed on him or it's uh, like we we cannot just uh, with with only our will go and become subjects of of such legal relations if we of course know how to do it correctly now we're moving on to the part where we're going to be talking a bit about just specific transfers and news that has been going on over the past month and a half since we were last with you of course the january transfer window opened on january the 1st and as i mentioned in the intro the Ukrainian transfer window does not close until March the 12th. So we still have a full month of mayhem to occur between, you know, clubs signing players, selling them and everywhere else. Um, however, I feel that a lot of other big European leagues anyway will be closing their markets either very soon or have already. So obviously the top five, Belgium and everything else is certainly going to be closing within the next few days or something like that. So keep that in mind too. Uh, so I think we're going to start off because obviously uh, Yaroslav is here. He's got a lot of clients at Bus. I'm just going to give it to Ray first to tell us a bit about what Bus have been up to during the winter period. They signed two players, just a boring, boring registration period for them. And I guess they they should have a plan. Uh, <laughs> and I know they have a plan. Uh, we, we can just look at the table. Krubas, uh, uh, probably someone will say, as you, Andrew, said, it's shocking. Uh, for me, it's just uh, how the president planned it, actually. <laughs> no, they're, they're, I'm talking about the president of the club. <laughs> sure, of course, of course. He he has all his bricks in place. But the owner of Krubas is Konstantin Karamanis, and uh, he has his own mining business uh, in Krivirik. Uh, uh, his business is is developing with a good uh, t- a tempo, 
and uh, the same as club he had the ambition he had the will and he had something in his mind uh, while he was uh, just uh, owning another club in Krivirich and uh, uh, I guess everything goes just according to his plan uh, fully clear investments fully clear um, like uh, <laughs> as business the same as the club uh, that that's how it should work uh, in in Ukrainian reality right now at this time. And uh, wh when it comes to their result, uh, of course, uh, we cannot under underestimate the factor of uh, the head coach. It's one hundred percent. Would I have any relation to him or no? Uh, it is just a fact. So we've see we we see what do they play what what uh, game style they have and what that every every football player knows what what he should do at every single second of the of the game and that's it uh, like we do not see any superstars we do not see players which uh, has a high price tag or whose salary is uh, above or even at half of the one at uh, i'd say 50% of the clubs in Ukraine. But they, they will, they might as well. Already we are, we've been talking about Beskorovain and Stetsky in the middle of the defense. And uh, the other players might be uh, promising prospects in the future too, just like uh, the Africans, Prince and Sosa, who are coming back after the injuries. First, when I saw those last names, I thought, are we talking about Kevin Prince Boateng and Jose Ernesto Sosa? <laughs> but no, they are up and coming, you know, it's... Uh, it's the law of um, reincarnation in football, right? But talking about what you said, Yaroslav, absolutely. Yes, Kribas is spectacular. And uh, I remember the situation when Vernedou played Mourinho in um, Europa League. And there was a meme saying, uh, Jure Vernedou said that uh, Mourinho told him that uh, he learns from him. Well, I learned from Mourinho. So. <laughs> and now probably Vernedou can uh, tell Mourinho something about being on top because we know what happened in Roma, right? So who knows? Who knows how it's going to be? Well, that's Kribas for you. Well, the correct ratio, uh, the, the overperformance, you know, according to the uh, investments you have, uh, we, we will not find another cases of su such overperf. Uh, I guarantee you, uh, no, something, I, I know just some, a little bit in the market. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, like Ray just mentioned, and you've mentioned Yaroslav, uh, Krivbas is quite, how would you say, a humble side, I think, or a humble squad. Not, not, no, no superstars. They're playing, obviously, overperforming. Let's see if they can continue that until the end of the season. But I think one positive that we have to make about the transfer window for them so far, we'll see how it goes on. But at the moment, they have not made too many transfers out. So they've not lost any key players, which I think is vital. Um, for a lot of clubs that usually overachieve in the first half of the season in UPL, a lot of them end up losing a lot of their key players in this winter window. And then it's like really difficult for them to recover in the second half. Whereas Krivbas, they've kept almost everyone so far. They've brought in Tverdorlib, like you mentioned. They had Bandera come in um, midway through the season as a free agent. And 
they've got Mkhitaryan in. And on top of that, I think, uh, well, like Ray said, Sosa and Prince are coming back from injuries. They weren't really featuring so much in the first half of the season. It could work out very well. However, um, one thing that I think is going to be quite interesting to see is how they compete uh, with the likes of Shakhtar and Polisa, who have gone pretty crazy in the transfer window uh, this time round. Shakhtar spending really big, I mean, for the first time since full-scale invasion, um, bringing in Kevin for 15 million uh, euros in total. Uh, Marlon Gomez, who everyone is telling me, lots of scouts and other people are saying he's real top prospect for 12 million euros, possibly going up to uh, 16 and just uh, at the start of this week, Latsabitsa, uh, who is a young and upcoming Georgian centre-back, 19 years old, coming in for 700k. So Shakhtar, I think, especially with the fact that if you win the Ukrainian Premier League, you go into the playoff round for qualifying. That is anyone other than if Shakhtar wins it, who will go into the group stage automatically. And if Shakhtar don't win it, they and finish second, for example, uh, then they'll have to start off in the second qualifying round, which, as we saw last season from Dnipro One's perspective, despite having, I guess, an inferior squad and coach at the time, was extremely difficult. But let's see how things progress. Shakhtar's determination, if I can put it like that, will probably be extremely high going into that. And it will be interesting to see how Obviously, Krivbas competes with that and also um, teams like Nipro 1 and Polisia. Just as we're on the topic of Shakhtar, worth mentioning that they start their season or their 2024 a bit earlier than the rest of the UPL clubs competitively because they've got Marseille next week in Hamburg. Um, they've got the first leg of their Europa League tie where they're going to be playing in Hamburg first and then Marseille the second week. And it's going to be interesting to see how, how they do. I always say there's no real point in taking uh, any serious consideration in the results of pre-season, mid-season friendlies because you don't know what the intensity is like. You don't really know the opposition that they're playing, whether it's really of any serious competition. It's just to get the players ready and warmed up for the return to competitive action. Like there's, I've seen, we'll move on to Dynamo in a bit, but people have been saying, oh, Dynamo have lost three of their um, friendlies. Oh no, what a crisis. When in reality, I don't think it actually means much in the grand scheme of things. Um, so that, that will be interesting to see how Shakhtar cope with Marseille, who haven't actually been on the best form since we recorded with Andy in the last episode where he mentioned that Marseille actually doing quite well. Marseille have actually dropped off a bit. Maybe it's a classic trope of a Gennaro Gattuso uh, managed side. Um, <laughs> but He's a great we'll be... tactician. He's a great tactician. Very yeah, but, but maybe he's, uh, you know, having a few issues elsewhere. And one other person I want to talk about in Shakhtar from a transfer perspective, he's not a incoming transfer, but he's a promoted player from the under-19s. And that's this guy called Viktor Tsukhanov, not Viktor Tsukhanov or his brother or some kind of uh, football manager regen. This guy is, uh, he's just turned 18. He's just turned 18. He, 
And uh, he's been scoring a few goals in the preseason. He's been used quite a lot by uh, Marino Pusic. And it looks like he's going to be counting on him uh, going on in the second half of this season because he impressed in the youth league in the first half of the campaign. And he looks to be quick. He looks very small, though, and he looks like he could be, you know, 13, 14. He's quite young. But, you know, the more that he plays, uh, hopefully he can maybe build some muscle and that kind of thing. And it just seems like we're coming up to the bit where uh, Shakhtar are already focusing on the next Project Mudrik, um, even before they've completed Project Sudokov. Um from the sale so you know this guy's coming up he's going to be the next best th- next big thing let's see where it goes and i feel that this is quite an interesting well a, a good parallel to, to draw to sudakov it's a too short period why we are talking about project mudrik or project sudakov while while uh, we're having for example project uh, malishev or project uh, i don't know uh Burechuk or something like that uh, it's too early to say something about him until he even makes his professional debut at all. It's my opinion. Not saying he doesn't uh, cost something or costs more than Sudakov or Mudrik. Uh, we just have to wait, I guess, uh, just before making any judgment on him. Because uh, every single word in uh Journalist world, you know, when someone copy pastes the information, transmits it, uh, it makes a huge pressure for uh, probably super talented guy, but uh, he needs to be calm and not despair for to uh, to any, you know, uh, you are okay, you're all right, that's your level, you you just you stop, it's enough, new mudrik, new sudakov, go forward, doing well. 150 plus 150 million price tag that that's it yeah and that that's the problem i guess it, it's like just my my vision in in that relation uh as as for starting point of course interesting guy yeah absolutely i mean he is in the europa league squad so who knows let's see how he how it goes over the next few weeks and what his involvement will be there Moving on to Surakov, because I guess that is the headline of this transfer window so far. Uh, nothing actually happened, really, but um, some interesting, I guess, progress has taken place. So, Surakov, I'm not sure if we mentioned it in the last episode or maybe we sort of brushed over it, but that he has recently signed with a pro star, obviously the biggest Ukrainian agency. So he's got a new agent. He's also got a new marketing partner. In this case, Sudokov has actually signed for Empower Sports, who are going to be dealing with his social media and similar and other clients that they do the marketing for, uh, including Paolo Fonseca, um, a number of Benfica players, um, a few players from the Premier League and elsewhere. So that's quite interesting. They've given Sudokov or created Sudokov a Twitter account or an X account, and he's there's tweets on there from him, at least his official account. And obviously they're helping him on uh, Instagram as well. And I'm sure just making his marketability a lot bigger going forward. Albeit, Sudakov has got probably one of the best marketeers or should I say journalists on his side in the world from uh, Fabrizio Romano, who gives him a lot of 
you could say, big publicity every few weeks or so. And he actually came out with the first news about Sudakov signing a new contract extension, which then Shakhtar confirmed, which, as Yaroslav has mentioned already, includes a £150 million release clause. And probably. Po- probably, probably. Well, that's what Sergei Palkin's CEO mentioned. However, this is news that is debated by Viktor Vatsko, who said himself that there actually is no release clause written in the new contract, according to his WhatsApp sources. So I think that's one to make your own mind up regarding that. That doesn't necessarily mean that Shakhtar will not let him go for under that. I think it's just to maybe sensationalise and to boost the player even more so. Because as we know, with the Mudrik deal and everything that's happening, um, Shakhtar have had to be quite savvy in how they market their players. And I guess this is another example of them trying to do that. On top of that, before the contract extension, Shakhtar did reject a £40 million deal from Napoli, apparently, uh, regarding Sudakov. So Napoli were ready to pay that. They rejected it because they want more. Let's see how it goes. Ray, do you think it was logical for Shakhtar to reject that deal now, to sign this new deal and, you know, bank on the fact that potentially uh, he could do a quite well in the in the Europa League this season towards the end of the campaign and then possible Euros as well, where maybe he might not get to the £150 million price point, but certainly can get a bit closer to it, maybe 60, 70 million that probably Shakhtar would be willing to let him go for. Right, but they can also include another player in the deal, you know. And if you if after Euros, let's speculate, they agree to 70 millions, they can uh, agree, they can in- include a player in the deal. And looking at um, Shakhtar transfer policy, it might be Huizhar Karas Helia by that time, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> so why not? And uh, yeah, I mean, we're not at the same point when we uh, let go of players uh, any any way we can. You know, we, we're not letting people go to Portugal, to Belgium or anywhere to make money. They just go themselves. They just leave Ukraine to play for European clubs. And um, these days, uh, clubs like Shakhtar... They don't have to do that. They don't have to agree to everything, uh, especially when Napoli's only just came back to the top of Serie A. So they are not a stable club in terms of results, obviously. They reached the uh, quarter, uh, semifinals of Champions League and now they are, you know, changing managers and all that. So that's a good choice. But again, uh, Shakhtar can uh, be in the driving seat for this one. It's another example of growing interest in Ukrainian players from clubs that are abroad. Of course, you don't have any clients that are abroad per se uh, at the moment, Yaroslav, but do you see that this is a growing trend now that players are moving to these top five leagues, to Portugal, to Belgium, like we say, less because now that this Ukrainian golden cage no longer really exists, does it? Because of, you could say, maybe... The war has not helped. It's inadvertently allowed these players to maybe go elsewhere because Ukrainian clubs have less 
uh, pulling power, if that makes sense. Do you think? For me, the trend-setting issue yeah, that is that Ukraine, Ukrainians and Ukrainian armed forces are actually trend-setting, trend-setters within the world, globally. I mean, within all industries and uh, areas of civilized world, Ukraine became an actor, an active actor. And if you ask anyone uh, what they do know about Ukraine, they will say at least something now, not like it was 20 years ago, it's like it's a side of another country. For me, it's just a normal process, nothing artificial in that. Uh, like in, in some transfers, of course, it is artificial process, uh, in my opinion, uh, as well as price tags, as well as uh, interest, as well as some theoretical options, offers they have or didn't receive, I don't know. But uh, basically, if we speak about Ukrainians, uh, we are transiting uh the industry uh, not any industry and when it comes to sport of course uh, everyone would like to Pro probably is not a popular opinion uh, especially in europe that football is uh, a part of uh, politics yeah but but uh for me it is it is a significant part Football is sports number one in the world. In the world, um, it's uh, it it drives uh, it it guides so much uh, people that non other sports or activity would engage. So, for me, it is a matter of fact. Uh, and at the time when we are a war war torn country when uh, we have our heroes sacrificing their lives uh, just for for the lives of others for the freedom and independence uh, it's the normal thing that we have some people with which would um, try to say ukrainians are okay which will look at ukrainian players with a more more like uh, a bit more attention for example. So for me, it's just a normal thing. Moreover, uh, millions of our people are now abroad. So it's also a politi political thing. In some in some way, for, for just for me, I'm not uh, intending for more. Uh, like... yeah. yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, uh, I mean, not just, ref not just refugees or even uh, uh, migrants, but yes. also, you know, I think a good, ex well, good examples that help Ukrainian players be wanted by top European clubs now is good examples like we see Zinchenko, Mikolenko playing well. So other clubs will be like, oh, this is an interesting market to look into because they are performing. So if these Ukrainian players are performing, then sure, we will take them. The same in Girona right now, Dovbik and Sahankov, probably the best examples, I think, for Ukrainians in terms of how well they are doing. Uh, you've seen that everyone Brashko goes to Girona. Uh, yeah, I, I hope uh, that uh, uh, <laughs> uh, all all other players do, do not uh, take take their chance to go to Girona because <laughs> they do not uh, have left spots for uh, other foreigners. And uh, how, how's the African market? Maybe some Japanese players they are also very technically educated, 
And uh, just just to add, uh, we, we, we have to see the full picture. I mean, not only talking about the top flight and everything like that. Inside inside the lowest leagues, I've seen that uh, there are some, some new Ukrainian players in uh, English uh, divisions. Uh, like, it, it was crazy to hear that uh, like five years ago, like no chance no chance at all i don't know the full legal process how they uh, made, made made it possible anyway it is it, it is uh, something something good for me uh, in my opinion and when we talk about some very foundational phase uh children the like i don't know if uh, not not millions probably but thousands hundreds of thousands of children of ukrainian children are now doing their first football steps in different maybe professional academies maybe not professional academies but abroad and that's that's uh, also another criteria another um because <laughs> yeah that's a very interesting point because that's something that oaf under obviously the new tenorship of Andriy Shevchenko as the president, will apparently or hoping to focus a lot more greatly on with regards to examples in recent memory or recent history anyway, like Danilo Krivson, who's currently playing at Borussia Dortmund under-19s, to ensure that he gets called up to the national team or at least is known to the managers of the national team under 19s or elsewhere a uh, friend of the pod Vovo Zverev recently has done a very cool uh, deep dive into Zachary Bauman who is a midfielder that plays for Man United under 18s 17 year old centre mid the ginger for the Ukrainian Paul Skulls looks like him apparently plays a bit like him will be interesting to see him having been born in the UK with Ukrainian family from uh, Kolomia, whether he will end up being able to represent Ukraine, obviously. And, you know, think of all the other thousands, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian kids that are now potentially have a chance of playing for some of those European academies. Of course, it means that maybe the likes of Shakhtar, Dynamo and elsewhere might not have the full talent pool that they used to have, but I guess it diversifies that and hopefully in the next five, ten years it will drastically improve, obviously, Zbirna's quality. Uh, just like, for example, Croatia, who have been doing it for years uh, with their scouting across Europe because of displaced people that they had from the Yugoslav Wars. Really interesting topic and um, something that we will definitely be touching on um, in future episodes um, as we obviously focus on Zbirna and other things uh, going forward. Uh, but just going to, I do, guess, do a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of every other transfer or big transfer that have happened in the UPL. Uh, just as we round up the Shakhtar topic, as we've obviously been talking a lot about that, uh, there were a couple of outgoings, per se, from, from Shakhtar's point of view, or outgoings that they had hoped for that didn't actually happen. Uh, Oleksii Kastruk, obviously a big star at last year's under-21 Euros, really, really wanted a move away. 
Uh, he's currently been training with the under 17s. Tato to care reporting saying that he really wanted or was dead set on a move to a top five league. And as a result of that, he had to reject offers from the likes of Basel, Haiduk, who apparently were offering some good money for him, uh, and some other clubs that were not in the top five leagues. And then came deadline day and Shakhtar, or, well, Tatutke reporting that Mallorca came in for Kastruk. Uh, there were talks. They were offering some good money for, for the player. Sadly, as a result, they pulled out at the end, accordingly to unknown, confirmed, unverified the reasons. Apparently, the two reasons are that Shakhtar uh, wanted more money at the last minute or something like that. And then the other option also is that intermediaries were involved and that potentially had an influence on why Mallorca didn't want to go through the deal. A reminder that Kashuk currently, he's got five months left on his deal. His contract ends with Shukhtar in the summer when he'll be a free agent. So potentially there's a chance that if he's not in Pushish's plans, he'll be staying with the under-17s or something until then and then find a new club afterwards. will be interesting to, to follow that for sure. And another player just recently that's also causing uh, headlines is Bogdan Vunik, who has been linked with a move to Lechia Gdansk for a number of weeks. Uh, the Polish window is not closed just yet, so that could still happen. As far as I'm aware, his dad is his representative um, in terms of a, or agent, however you want to call it. And they're trying to deal with that because uh, some Ukrainian media footboom came out saying that he hasn't re returned to Shakhtar's second training camp in Turkey, that he is uh, trying to find a move away because of the war and things connected with that. But Bogdan Junik himself, so that's completely false. He just wants to find a different club because Shakhtar have said that they no longer are counting on him and they expect him to find a new club himself kind of thing. So let's see how long that will take to get resolved. But um, interesting times. I mean, both of those players not really part of Pushish's plans, realistically. Um, but in interesting nonetheless. I think Ray's going to give me a bit of help on this one. Polisia, of course, another big hitter. I predicted them to finish in the top three at the start of the season. So far, so good from my prediction. I'm sorry, I can't I can't deny it. Uh, they've been very busy, maybe not to the extent of uh, Shakhtar style uh, money-wise, but they're bringing in Bogdan Mahalichenko is back in the UPL from Dinamo Zagreb. He is uh, signed for them. Obviously, Shakhtar didn't want him at the start of the season. Or didn't want to pay however much it was. Now he's there. They've signed uh, Indukfer from FC Zjagal. Of course, he is... Zjagal is linked to uh, Polisia, but still, he's very promising uh, centre-forward. Yeah, kind They've of signed... a hothead as well, so keep an eye on him. He, he Absolutely. can be quite a hothead. I think that'll be quite interesting to see. Um, I think his name is, uh, well, Fortune, who was in the Arsenal Academy, a uh, French guy from FC Sion. He's on loan. That guy will be interesting to see, especially with, I guess, Benny Makuana doing so well uh, in the first half of the season. Can someone else who's got a French background around them, can they sort of perform too? 
and just very recently, Tales Costa, um, centre mid from Sao Paulo, has arrived. So they they look they look good, and I'm sure that they have still got a few other signings to come in before the end of the window because uh, Butkevich seems to be quite a ambitious guy, and he is not afraid to open his wallet. That's for sure. With regards There's to just these- one one thing about that, Andrew. That's like a flip side of the coin I mentioned before. Like the player, the young players are living in Ukraine now, so that's why uh, clubs like Shakhtar and others need to hold on to their um, their own prospects to keep them for the squad. They have no other choice. But Burkevich came up with a choice, which is twenty year old approach of buying no name uh, Latin Americans and uh, Africans. I mean, what else can it be? Like you can spend money, but you don't spend them on New York Academy or local players. You don't get even I don't know foreign uh, Ukrainian players back, like Mikhailichenko. Well, they did, but uh, that's only one, right? We have more, but no one cares. It's like uh, with our guy playing in Borussia and Man, Man United, the and the youth coaches don't see them. They just better buy cheap Brazilian and uh, other players from from abroad, from across the ocean. I don't have any problem with that, but we've been through that already. So I don't think it's just it's a good investment enough. Oh, I, I know what you mean, but I think the main point at the moment is Polisio want to get there quickly. I think they want to get to the Champions League or the Europa League as soon as possible and then try and develop from there. Like like I mentioned he in an episode a few months ago. Uh, he went to obviously Inter Miami to see what was going on there and then built a whole new training base based on Inter Miami's base in the middle of the forest in in uh, Zhitomir. I think that they have got quite a good youth academy going on, or at least they've got some players coming through. So let's see how they develop. I mean, uh, and some of the young players that they have bought recently, obviously Nazarenko is not really a prospect, but at least he's a young Ukrainian player. They got Smolyakov as a fullback. Let's see how he sort of develops going forward. Um, it will be interesting to see. For me, I feel that at the moment this is the kind of phase where, like Man City, are uh, when they started buying um, some of the mediocre when talent did, at the when start. When Dynamo of the, beat them, when Dynamo beat them in Europe, yeah, League. at the the kind of mediocre players at the very start of the uh, United Arab Emirates tenure where they weren't up to scratch, but they just wanted to get there quickly. And once this sort of levels out, I guess, over the next couple of years, that's when it will probably start seeing results. And maybe they can try and get somewhere uh, in the direction of what Shakhtar are doing. But that's only a, that's a big maybe, of course, and it will take a long time to get anywhere near the, that establishment level. But very interesting nonetheless. And one final thing, um, Vladislav Vakula, has left uh, Polisia. And as per Tato Care, and even our own sources, he's currently training with Menai. So fingers crossed he can get another chance there in what will obviously be a difficult situation from a footballing perspective because they're trying to save themselves from relegation. Uh, just whilst we're on the topic of Menai, They've signed a few players, uh, re-signed Nemchaninov and Bandura after letting them go at the start of December. They've actually re-signed. And then they're bringing in a whole load of players from in around Ujhorod and some of the lower leagues. So just recently they got in Vasil Vashkeba, Pavlo Teshchuk, uh, 
Sergei Kornichuk, Ivan Matushenko. So I'm sure that there will be a number of other players that will be joining before the end of the window. But it looks like, squad-wise, that they're probably preparing for Patrick already. Spot on with Manchester City. They had, Polisa had their own Balotelli. Yeah, there you go. Um, we're, we're going to the next stages now. But, but you know, that's that's where it's at. And I guess another surprise player that, or a surprise club, should I say, that has caught me off guard anyway, this window, is LNZ. These guys are coming in with some historic transfers for their club. Obviously quite a young club, but they've brought in their first ever foreign players. And I mean, by not just one or two, but I think five now they've got in there. Uh, they're going for some interesting talents, to say the least. Um, an Israeli uh, under-21, former under-21 international Arad Bar, uh, two Kosovo players from the Kosovo League. Um, the top scorer in last year's Estonia Premier League. They've brought in uh, Kucherenko from FC Dila as a goalkeeper. Kaplienko, who was playing at uh, Dnipro 1 last season and for the first half of this campaign. A Brazilian. They've got Hoblenko from Krivbas permanently now. These guys are, you know, they're not messing about. Um, they seem to be... I don't. I think they won't have enough to break into the top five, in my opinion, this season for sure. But they're trying to do something. And it's, you know, I'm quite surprised that they're sort of splashing this cash. Because it's not even little bits. Like Arad Bar costs 250k. And I know that that's like undisclosed, as uh, Yaroslav was saying earlier. But it's interesting to see that these new players are coming in, um, in Ukrainian football. Like Karpata coming back next year. It's going to be super competitive. And I've not even mentioned Metalist 925. The white bit revolution is well underway. Uh, Skripnik's in confirmed. Yurchenko is following him again. It's just that he's just that little, you know, that little like guy on the string is just following him to to yet another club. Let's see if he can, you know, make that diamond that he loves um, in the middle of midfield with him. And Dennis Harmash with one of the most iconic, iconic um, unveiling videos in recent time in Ukrainian football. Um, where he was sat in a McDonald's saying, yeah, I'm ready to sign for Metalist just two weeks before when he denied to a Ukrainian journalist that he was signing for Metalist 1925, saying he was eating a Big Mac in McDonald's in Croatia somewhere. So it's all great to see that there are these clubs, that these new, new era clubs that are trying to make a name for themselves. And I don't know what your thoughts are, Yaroslav. Do you think that, these projects, those three that I've just mentioned, Polisa, Elenzer, and uh, Metalist925, do you think that they have got futures or, you know, this is going to be long-term or what's your take? I think let's separate them one from another. And uh, when we start speaking of Polisa, of course, we speak of a club which has... Uh, uh, <laughs> Person number one, their owner, president, Yanadi Budkevich, and uh, uh, his ambitions uh, are like world class, actually. 
and uh, we cannot uh, we should mention that they are also building an academy they are having some projects concerning youth football and uh, all the academic structure and uh, as we mentioned uh, Svahil is uh, some kind of a part of, of that structure for the future it's not just uh, uh, just a moment desire <laughs> just to take take one club and give them money or, or not money I just help <laughs> and and uh, look after it uh, like I'm interested uh, how do they play I think that uh, Ndukwe will uh, by the way he will play the rest of the season at, at Zvagel on loan from Polisa and I guess they will take some young players, some more young players from uh, Ukrainian under-19 league. So they are also developing their their prospects, not not just taking the top ice top. Uh, and concerning their um, their transfers, the new transfers, I guess. Uh, as for Brazilian, I've heard very good uh, references on him. Um, he like he played he, he performed well in in South America. Uh, he has good uh, marks of the scouting personnel, which analyzed him. And I guess like uh, what what we've seen at the training camp, uh, like uh, he <laughs> he makes me feel positive about his performance. Uh, and when it takes to some other transfers, we have to see only time will show us. Uh, so police, uh, they have the, an ambition, uh, they have their objective. And I, I know that they will come to it uh, later or soon. Uh, I don't know when, but probably they will because uh, their the management, uh, their owner just want it. We'll see what what will happen. What what changes will bring us the next season? Probably, I don't know if uh, this season is uh, actual for them uh, to qualify to the European competitions. As I I don't know. It it has to be analyzed uh, by them or by the UEFA if their criteria on ownership is uh, within the three years uh, to comply with. Uh, availability of playing in the European competition so it's uh, an important thing uh, you have to know prior to uh, put in high high goals uh, just where are we going we are going to the top why I don't know why but some samurai doesn't have the, an objective the only way uh, yeah uh, when we speak about uh, LNZ or LNZ uh, how we pronounce it here uh just uh, a model model structure of transfer manager or i don't know <laughs> uh, if if someone asks uh, if if the president asks uh, an average guy in the market who is a sporting director or transfer manager or name it how, how you want it uh, which uh, foreign players do are we taking uh, i i think 99% will say we need brazilian african guy uh, prob probably one from national teams and no matter it's under 21 national team anyway it is uh, we will we will use it in our presentation we will show we are, <laughs> have very solid plans we are, we are moving to the top uh, I don't know what we can say about the level of these players I don't know how to judge it correctly because 
the level of opposition in the league, uh, for example, in Estonia, it cannot uh, like it cannot be connected to something we have here in Ukraine. Uh, that's why it's hard to say now, but of course, uh, I will be happy if there will be more clients like this. <laughs> that that reminds me of uh, 2003 Warskull approach, where they were battling relegation, and their squad was filled with Balkan players. So that struck me immediately when I saw who LNZ signed. And don't be fooled by the marketing, uh, Yaroslav. Yaroslav, you mentioned that marketing is really important in transfers. And, list, and LNZ did just that. They presented them, they blew our minds with the presentations, with the videos, with the fact that these are the few, for, uh, few first foreigners in the history. But behind that curtain, there's nothing more than Vorsko 2003. And that's why I'm going to be brave enough to predict that they're not going to make it into top eight. And just to be sure for them, make sure they don't pay for their next transfer with their own plant. Because LNZ is based on Lebedinsky and Senyava Zavod, Lebedin seed plant. <laughs> ah, as for marketing, yeah, you know, I want to argue because uh, uh, their form is on the top level. I mean the form, what what they do actually, uh, but I'm I'm speaking of substance uh, of what we are having. Uh, if we just put an average guy from this uh, from the street and say he is top because uh, he studied in top university, everything like that, uh, of course for for the presentation you will say, wow, it is great. But put him onto the field or, or like put him for, for the job he has degree at and uh, you will see what, what he can bring you in practice. I, I'm just saying about that. Uh, marketing top, uh, um, the club approach top. Uh, they are trying to build infrastructure. They are trying to build academy. They are uh, starting, uh, already started an academy a few weeks ago. So uh, some young guys uh, like uh, are working there. I mean, young coaches who uh, who have the desire and ambition to become something as well as Varys had and has now. And they have good results there at their academy. They are like the, the one who, who wants to work and want to progress. He will always do it uh, so Anze is uh, trying trying to uh, trying quite hard I guess they will they will succeed not this season uh, not even top 10 99.9% uh, .9%. that's my bet but yeah so obviously we've got a few clubs that have been very active in the transfer market uh, look really interesting let's see how their second half of the season goes we'll be previewing the actual nitty gritty of everything that's going on with the UPL's return in the next couple of weeks, once uh, we get a bit closer to its actual return. I think it's worth to wrap up uh, the remaining clubs or at least chat a bit about them in what's going on there. So Dynamo, of course, making up the, the top five, etc., in the UPL at the moment, they've not had any luck yet. Uh, obviously they've, De facto signed uh, Braharu from Tronomoritz. However, the conversation about him actually coming before the end of the season seems unlikely at the moment because of legal things, paying compensation and everything that's related to that. So uh, as far as everyone's aware, that is going to happen. 
but most likely in the summer he will move. Elsewhere, Dinamo have been very heavily looking for a centre-back because we've seen the issues they've got uh, in defence. In the first half of the season, they really needed one. But sadly, they've not been able to get one yet. Uh, I think they've been most recently linked with a guy called um, Brian Kibayos, who is a Colombian guy who's on loan at a Colombian club from Fortaleza. And Fortaleza is a Brazilian club. And essentially, the whole process would be for Dinamo to somehow get that loan ended early, six months early. Then he'd have to return to Fortaleza and then he'd have to go to Dinamo. So it's all quite a complicated process and it seems that that actually might be a problem in it actually happening, you know, through a legal process, through a financial process, because obviously the uh, Colombian side will be losing a key player that they've signed on loan and I think they've ended up having to pay in some in some respects. So that's probably going to be difficult. I know they've got other players highlighted on their short list, on their long lists. Let's see if any of that's going to come through because one of the main issues is how hard or how easy is it to attract foreigners to Ukraine during the war. I know um, Ihor Sorkis, the Dinamo president, has used that as an excuse for a lot of players not coming to Dinamo, saying they don't want to come because of the war. But then you look at the clubs that we've just been speaking about attracting loads of foreign talent. So I guess it's uh, you have to strike a balance on how you do that because Dinamo have been one of the few clubs that after the start of the full-scale invasion, they have signed players and then been bitten on their ass essentially, um, when they've left. So you've got Justin Lonvike came after the full-scale war started. He played there for a bit and then he left because he was too scared. And literally just in a recent interview, he just said, it was too scary for me. Um, I didn't want to risk my life anymore. And now he's on loan at Fortuna Sittard. And, and that's what they've had to deal with. And I guess that's what they don't want to be struck with again. So, so let's see how that goes. Uh, in the second half of the season, we've still got a month to go, whether Dinamo can bring someone in. At the moment in their mid-season camps, they're playing like an 18-year-old centre-back um, back there. And like I mentioned, the results aren't great. Let's not look into that too deeply, but you never know how much of a representation that is of things to come. Uh, elsewhere, Zoria, we mentioned how poor they were in the first half of the season and how difficult they've been finding goal scoring. Of course, they've made a couple of signings. They've got uh, Mata Dai. Remember, if you don't remember him from the Olympic Donetsk days, um, he is currently on trial with the club, the Senegalese centre forward who uh, used to be at Juventus. He's currently on trial there. And as well as that, they've signed a guy called Alun Endar from a Portuguese side Estrella. And he looks pretty good. I was reading an article somewhere. I can't remember exactly where, but someone said that he is the closest player to Artem Dovbik stylistically. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how many goals he can score. It's just a shame that he has both of them, or if they sign Matodi because he's on trial. But it's just a shame that Endar has come now, or Endor, he has come now because they really needed him in the Conference League. And now they're out of the Conference League. It's just really fighting for survival because I think that Zoria probably too far down now to make any European places realistically. 
and especially when you look at the problems they've got with some of their other players um, that um, have got six months left on their contract and have been frozen out of the team, essentially. Uh, Daniel uh, Alefirenko, he has been sent to train with the under-19s. Nachnoini uh, as well. And um, one other player that uh, escapes me. But it just shows a bit of a weird backwards mentality, I think, from the clubs to be doing that. Why not actually just utilise those players until they leave? What what benefit does it give you to not play them for six months and then they leave for free anyway when it actually some of them are your best players? For example, Alifirenko, in my opinion, is one of their best forwards. They're going to lose out on goals and that's going to be a problem. So... Let, let's see where that where that ends up. And I think one interesting thing um, that Yaroslav has already mentioned, Veres have signed a few players, a few players on loan, uh, a few young players as well, to try and save themselves from relegation because they've got a lot of focus on their youth academy. They've got a new manager in there. They want to try and stay up for sure. But we know that their budget is not, so big so it'll be interesting to to follow them and probably lastly uh SC Dnipro won were are under a transfer ban at the moment due to withstanding <clears throat> payments costs to former employees such as Ihor Jovicovic and some others I'm pretty sure however they have managed to sign Oleg Ocheretko on loan from Shakhtar you know, the attacking midfielder, really promising, one that Adam loves and has been talking the praises for a number of years. Finally, he's been given an opportunity to possibly start in a UPL side or start somewhere. And good to see him go on loan, albeit to a direct competitor of Shakhtar. But interesting nonetheless, he hopefully will be pretty good in that midfield there. We're alongside Pichelionok and uh, Rubczynski, going to be interesting to see what Maximov or how Maximov utilises him, especially of Lednev having a bad injury and all that kind of stuff. However, I think there's also room to mention that Andriy Russell, the general director of the club, I'm pretty sure, there's been talk of him potentially leaving to go to Karpate. In the summer, lots of rumours about that happening. Been denials from people inside the club and elsewhere. But obviously the fact that it won't go away also raises the question of how long is Nipro 1 sort of sustainable, especially with currently with this transfer ban and if similar things arise going forward, how will they cope? Their ghost financier, in inverted commas, um, Ihor Koromoyski currently in prison obviously can't be doing too much to help from that respect uh, obviously I think they're doing well obviously on the football pitch but going forward what what the process is going to be is another thing especially I think from next season so uh, someone to certainly keep a club certainly to keep an eye out for regarding developments of any legal or, or, or similar but now I think it's worth taking a look finally just before we finish up 
on the UAF presidency. Andriy Shevchenko is the new president of UAF. He uh, ran unopposed. Andriy Pavelko is currently in custody um, on corruption and embezzlement charges, not on bail. He's meant to be continuing his custody for at least another few weeks, which means that he won't be able to go to the UEFA Congress that is happening this week in Paris. And it's interesting to see. Um, Andriy Shevchenko came in. He did not really have a campaign of any kind. He met up with the regional heads across Ukraine over the course of the past few weeks before the actual election happened. And then during his during the UF Congress where he was elected, he came up with four with nine points that he is planning on, on addressing. He wants to create transparency, digitalization he used um quite often, which I think potentially could be like a sporting equivalent of DIA, um, which is the Ukrainian sort of passport everything app. He wants to sort of ensure that there's a footballing system for Ukraine digitally. But we still await to actually find out exactly what that means. Um, he wants to prepare specialists in Ukrainian sport and football. Um, he wants to develop the national team. He wants to work with clubs more closely. Referee reforms, post-trauma recovery, which I think he means regarding the war. Quite broad, but something to do with that. He wants to improve marketing and also wants to create international cooperation which a lot of that has been missing, let's not lie, over the past few years, especially since the war began. And the first five steps that he wants to focus on after being elected is currently an audit is being conducted of OAF, which is going to take around two to three months to do just to see where the costs are going, what's happening within the within the organisation. Uh, he's going to start on the digitalization, going to start supporting and developing national team. Uh, international cooperation and starting the cooperation with clubs. Yaroslav, what's your take on Shevchenko becoming the new president? Are you happy with it? Are you looking forward to maybe some sort of positivity from the association now that Pavelko is obviously left and there might be a room for movement and growth going forward? Hopefully. In one word, it's hopefully, I guess... Uh... Of course, we have an, uh, a, a big man at his post right now, uh, elected by 1993 out of 94 delegates. Uh, everyone is for, not, no one is against. And we see the political will, we, we see, oh, not political, sorry, uh, football will of our politicians or football uh, activists i don't know uh, actually who who is sitting at that at that seats right now uh, i do, don't know uh, who will uh, i've seen nine uh, nine points uh, from which uh, i for myself the only one and only uh, understandable is post-traumatic reco recovery is something a bit concrete at the moment uh, of course it has to be developed a little bit uh, and it's in in my opinion if we are speaking of sports as at its 
primary objective of healthy lifestyle and uh, putting something good into the minds of people, of course, uh, this point has to be number one. But we'll see. Uh, as for other vivid uh, points, I don't know how we can uh, put marks on them. We, we do not do not know the criteria uh, of why it like from one to ten. Yeah, of course, we are having some marks for for this. What was the level of digitalization uh, or transparency we ex can expect, or like we, we do not, didn't hear, hear anything concrete at this moment, unfortunately. At the same time, of course. Everyone wants to be optimistic. Uh, we are living in this country. We are talking about this football, Ukrainian football. We're interested in it. We we just uh, want to develop. We want to progress within the uh, understandable area of uh, of relations, at least relations. Uh, so of course we want to feel optimistic. But what will what will we have? We do not know. Uh, what about the concrete program? Did you see it? I didn't. Uh, what about the concrete uh, team or description of every team member? What about the executive committee uh, members without vote? Uh, can we can we say those are reputable men within the football industry? Uh, if if yes, uh, you you could ask many people if they want to be in the football industry, if yes. Uh, so many, many questions at this time, uh, I think, uh, not not thinking, I'm, I'm confident, I'm confident uh, that many issues are to be solved step by step, uh, by practicing, by being at the place and uh, solving uh, everything one after another. Uh, of course, I do not have any... Um, precautions yeah uh, in terms of uh, his uh, real uh, will to change something to the better side uh, at least i want to to believe in it <laughs> uh, like we have an example of klitschko who probably like everyone said he he needs nothing but respect from the people act, acting in good faith uh, and doing good things. I don't know if it is uh, many critics, many criticism, many optimism, uh, but it's uh, at, at least it's okay in terms of uh, vision, political position, and everything like that. If we if we uh, have the same from the ambassador of uh, United Twenty Four platform, Andriy Shevchenko, uh, having full power and uh, help assistance from all the interested and probably not interested bodies, uh, governmental, non-governmental people, every, everyone. Uh, Joker is, in, is in, in his hands, you know. Uh, everything may be done, but uh, if, it, uh, if there is such an idea, uh, such clear mind, and I hope, uh, what is my prediction for the further steps? Uh, in terms of two months' time, I guess we will not have uh, any referee scandals. Maybe one month. I, I, I think one month. 
uh, they want to be saved uh, at, at least <laughs> at least for some years to work uh, to try to adapt to new reality and uh, get used to know uh, get used to live with the uh, fair fair salary <laughs> so yeah um, that's that's only prediction we can make uh, I feel optimistic but to some extent yeah a lot to agree with there and i think that we will delve even deeper into shevchenko's opening month in charge in our next episode just before the upl kicks off uh, especially with feedback following on from what happened in uh, the paris congress at uefa uh, and everything else just because this is being recorded just before that just to wrap up quickly Everyone, don't forget to watch the big game in La Liga this weekend. Real Madrid versus Girona. Dovbik's been injured recently. He has been tearing it up. He's got three Player of the Month awards for Girona of late. Touch and go, whether he's actually going to play or feature. Hopefully, it's just Michelle being coy and he actually does get involved because Real Madrid have got problems at centre-back. So something to exploit for sure. On the other side of the coin, Lunin, the number one, the permanent number one until the summer at the very least for Real Madrid. He's beaten the competition of Kepa. And on top of that, Real Madrid have signed another goalkeeper. That is another Ukrainian goalkeeper who's six foot seven. He's 17. Ilya Voloshin, he's signed from Real Mahayarada. And he looks a real prospect. Got feet like De Gea, they say. And obviously is going to be dubbed the new Lunin for eternity until he takes over there. Interesting times in Spain, for sure. We'll have a full update of everything that's going on uh, next time out, but this has been a very extensive episode already. So um, thanks again to Yaroslav for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, guys. It was also a big pleasure to speak to you. So have a phenomenal day and night. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Thanks for everyone listening. Um, stay safe. Take care. Goodbye for now.